Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt, Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to johnji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at johnji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Heads up to outside-in listeners who have small people in their homes or are sensitive to such things. There are some swear words in this episode. Hey there, I'm Sam Evans-Brown, and... I'm Sam Evans-Brown, and here comes some music. <laughs> Why do geese make feet? Does a bumblebee sneeze? Can a person eat trees? Can a polar bear freeze? Is a kidney stone kind of like a pearl in a clam? Well, I don't know. Ask Sam. So I'm here with producer Hannah McCarthy. Hello. And producer Jim Gutierrez. Hey. And this is your first time doing Ask Sam with me, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've been allowed in, into this booth for, for good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone have any uh, feelings, fears, hopes? I don't know the details of nature, but I also hate being wrong. <laughs> so I think this is going to be interesting. I might just say some stuff. Yeah, it's a perfect combination. Yeah. <laughs> I plan on the same, considering I do not spend nearly any time in nature, and I look forward to... <laughs> nearly any. Nearly any. I mean, I'm outside sometimes, but... Mostly in basketball courts. Mostly on courts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's hear the first question. This is Trevor calling from Horn Cemetery in Bailey, Colorado. The question I have for Sam, is the tradition we have of bringing flowers to funerals and cemeteries propagating invasive species? Thank you. Doubt it. <laughs> First of all, if you pick something when it's a flower, it hasn't made a seed, right? Because mm-hmm. it's still a flower. Like the reproductive cycle of the plant has not finished. Okay. Uh, so even if you just took them and like shook them and tried to like drop all the seeds on the ground, there probably aren't any. Uh, and also, the, these are annuals. They're like the, they're grown in greenhouses. They're just like incredibly fragile plants that 
that like don't stand a chance against wild, robust greenery. So, so I, I highly doubt that any like decorative flowers could could hack it in the wild. Not to mention the fact that cemeteries are pretty regularly patrolled and cleaned up. Yeah, so mowed like crazy. Yeah, not much of a chance. Can can we make the just point out here that Trevor was calling from a cemetery? Do you think it was during the ceremony that he called? I mean, I think that's probably where this idea came from. I kind of hope he was the priest or the reverend or whomever is giving the hold on. Something occurs to me, <laughs> and then he gives you a call, Sam, and then he proceeds. I feel sorry for whosoever service we interrupted. Our condolences, Trevor. Oof. All right, moving on. Hi, this is Gregory from the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I am sitting across from my neighbor's tree, and it is just pissing me off. It is really sick <laughs> and obnoxious, and I was wondering what the punishment is if I just poisoned it and made it come down on its own. If I could get a response soon, that would be amazing. Bye. <laughs> Somebody thought that was a really <laughs> funny question. <laughs> A little giggle in the background. Yeah, so this is a legal question. Well, uh, so uh, we're assuming he's gonna get, he's gonna poison it, and then he's gonna get caught. I was gonna it. say right. that's another reason why I'm in this room because clearly, if you don't get caught, Gregory, you're good. Although there's a famous tree poisoning case. This has to do with college football. So there's Auburn and there's University of Alabama. They are sworn rivals. Auburn had a tree on campus that was almost like a second mascot, and a U of Alabama fan in just a blind rage, goes to the campus and poisons the tree that had been there for like a 100 years. And he did get caught. Well, he was confessing it in this documentary. Well, there's your problem. (laughs) Don't do that. You don't give it up. Gregory, don't confess. Whatever you do, problem solved. All right, guys, no, hold on. I I really want to do just a little more research because I'm really into this question. So let's just put this on hold. I'm going to go look it up and then we'll come back and I will tell you. refresh my memory was it how to kill a tree and get away with it or how much punishment you would get for killing the tree yeah if he poisoned his neighbor's tree mm-hmm. which was too big what would what kind of trouble could he get into well i'll start there then i'll start with massachusetts law because you told us you were from the commonwealth as am i fine sir uh so under the neighbors and trees section of the massachusetts law thread And that law provides for the imprisonment for not more than six months or a fine of not more than $500. So I can also tell you how best to kill a tree and not not go, uh, not be seen. However... This I don't want to be caught for aiding and abetting <laughs> a tree murderer. Uh, yeah, I do. I do question the ethical, you know, implications of of putting this information out there. But I also really want to know. Okay, well, so rather than actually tell you, then I'm just gonna say you should know that this information is readily available on the internet because. Sadly, many people like our fine caller apparently want to kill their neighbor's greenery. So, all right, fair enough. What's next on the docket? Hey, Sam. Thanks for um, taking these calls. I love your podcast. Um, my name is Eric. I'm in Philadelphia. On the um, Tell Me Something I Didn't Know podcast, I learned that most of the weight that we lose when we lose weight um, is exhaled <clears throat> via carbon dioxide when we breathe. And I was just curious or had the assumption that if everyone on the earth lost the weight that we need to lose to be, a, I guess, a regular BMI, would that have any measurable impact on CO2 levels in the atmosphere? And could that have any impact on global warming? Thanks. 
No. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for calling, Eric. (laughs) See you next time. Um, We are carbon. And so if we lost a bunch of weight, it would put a bunch of carbon into the atmosphere. Um, But like how much? I don't know. Would it all have to happen at once to make a measurable difference? I feel like it would. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, first of all, we up. have to know if it's enough to be a me- measurable difference, right? One. But also, like, CO2 stays in the atmosphere That's for, true. like, millennia. Yeah. So, no, it wouldn't have to be all at once. Yeah. Um, but but I doubt I doubt it would be a measurable difference. It, like, takes it takes a lot. Like, we're burning a lot of shit. And just, like, a couple of... A couple of like extra sweaty bodies. It's not, <laughs> not going to make the difference. Doesn't really compare to the industrial revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. I think I. I'm actually going to Google that one too because I bet you there's a really easy answer to that. So I ran the numbers really quick. It was actually not very hard to find the numbers to run this. Uh, there's about 2.1 billion overweight people in the world. They're all about 20 pounds overweight. Those 20 pounds are about 18% carbon. So you can really quickly run the numbers and you find out that if everyone who was overweight lost 20 pounds on average, we'd it would be about 3.3 million tons of carbon, which is about the same as taking all the cars in a state a little bigger than Florida and a little smaller than New York City off the road for a year, which sounds like a lot, but that equals point. Zero eight percent of global carbon emissions. <laughs> I was going to say it doesn't sound like a lot, but I didn't want to steal the moment. <laughs> well, it's not a lot. <laughs> so we were right. We were right. No, doesn't Thanks matter. for playing. Okay. But also, sort of like hammers home the point, you could take all the cars in New York City or Florida or New York State or Florida off the road for a year and it would have zero impact on global warming, which sort of shows you how difficult of a problem is going to be to solve. Yeah, good point. All right, moving on. Hi, Sam. This is Ryan calling from Purvis, Mississippi. Um, I've been told uh, my entire life that when dogs and cats eat grass, it's because they have intestinal worms. But my dog has had fecal tests and takes a dewormer pill uh, every month. So I know he doesn't have any intestinal worms, but he still eats grass occasionally. Um, So I'm just wondering if there's any truth to that claim that um, animals will eat grass if they have worms? And um, if so, why? And do all animals do that? Thanks. I I had always heard that uh, cats and dogs ate grass when they wanted to throw up, like when they're feeling sick to their stomach. So I understand why I'm in this room now. And that's because, although I don't even know really that much about why it happens or why they are doing it, I have experience having cats outside and eating grass and watching them eat grass. So I take my cat, my large cat, Juanito, outside, and I put him on a little leash, and he eats grass. Immediately. Imme- well, it takes him some while. He gets comfortable. He looks at birds, goes underneath cars, and then he'll eat the grass. Every night he eats grass, he throws up. Yeah. And I think he does it to stay regular. I think I think there's something to it. Like there's a regulatory thing like that he just is drawn to it and then he throws up because I'm, I think it's just a process. That Cleans them out. Cleans yeah, them out. This is the, totally off topic, but I lived in Ojai for three months once. That's in California. And it's a little hippie. And there was this magazine that was about psychoanalyzing pets. And one of the headlines was, could your cat be depressed? And then the sub headline was, absolutely, yes. <laughs> 
Is Juanito depressed? I mean, he could be. We just had a big move. He's been very clingy. He's got a lot of extra space now, though. He's got a lot of extra space. He doesn't have enough grass, though. Hmm. He had more grass at the old place. Do we help at all? Do we help Purvis at all? No, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to call an expert. And okay, I, I have a vet I'm calling who I love. Okay, so I talked to to this veterinarian who I am a big fan of. Her name's Allison Franz. She's here in Concord. Um, my name is Dr. Allison Franz, and I had a protein shake for breakfast. And I asked her the question: Why do dogs and cats eat grass? There truly is not an answer to the question. Um, Dogs and cats will eat grass really for no apparent reason. A lot of people feel that dogs will eat grass because they're nauseous and it makes them vomit. And that is true. Um, It does seem like dogs will eat the grass and then vomit, but not all dogs and or cats will do that. They have done a few studies on this um, by uh, looking back at veterinary records and talking to clients, and they have actually found, like I said, that it doesn't really mean anything. Some animals just seem to like to eat grass. And so there we are. It's very unsatisfying, I feel like. (laughs) That's really unsatisfying. I feel like there can't, I mean, but I guess it's kind of like asking why a dog sometimes eat poop. There can't be a good reason for that, right? So maybe there's no good reason for this. Just like animals are random. And some of them are broken in the brain. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's kind of what she said. She even went on to say that, um, she did say that if your dog or cat eats grass and throws up every time after they eat grass, that you should stop them because that's not good. Because a lot of people will be like, no, no let them eat it because, you know, they need to throw up. But it's not right. that. It's just like, no, this animal does not know what's good for it and you need to intercede. Right. Right. All right. So what's the next call? The next call is that we've got business to attend to. Ah, yes. More questions and more answers after the break. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Right. Welcome back. Today, we are taking listener questions, uh, and let's just get right to the next one. Hi. um, My name is Shredder. I'm calling from the Appalachian Trail, and we are all New Englanders, but we've come down here in the South and we've made it to Virginia and we keep hearing this strange noise everywhere and we don't know if it's an insect or a bird or a frog and I feel like I failed my friends as the one with a forestry degree, so I'm just going to hold my phone out and let the sound be heard and see if any of you guys know what it is. Okay. I know what this one is. It's a rattlesnake. <laughs> it's a rattlesnake. <laughs> Shredder. It's a rattlesnake. Uh, Wait, what was her name? Shredder. Shredder. It's it was Shredder. Her trail name, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah ah, I want name. a trail name. That's so ba. You can get a trail name. We Everybody can have gets one. station names if we want. Do you want can a we? different name? Kind of. So Shredder. Shredder. Uh, those are Katie Dids, uh, which are like grasshoppers. Oh. And and the other thing I know, and this came from like colonial accounts of like when the when the Europeans first got here, is that they used to be like hella loud, and still are in some places because if you get a ton of them, they they sink up, 
And so it just turns into this like chorus that's totally mm-hmm. deafening. Um, and when the when the colonial Europeans first got here, they were scared shitless of them. <laughs> <laughs> Little grasshoppers. Yeah. But yeah, so like, and they're they're a little bit south. So they start like in Massachusetts. That's like the end of their range. And then the farther south you go, the more than there are. But um, there, this is like you get cicadas during the day, and mm-hmm. then Katie did at night. Are we gonna call Shredder up? We should call Shredder and let her know. I just want to tell her her name's awesome. Hello. Hey, uh, uh, is this Shredder? Yeah, this is Shredder. Hey, this is Sam. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm hanging out in Hot Springs, North Carolina. I'm curious, did you get an answer to your question in the time between when you asked it and now? I I now have a suspicion because in an audio book I listened to, they talked about Katie Diggs. Yeah. And I was like, that might be what it is. Yeah, so it's but... definitely Katie Diggs. Oh my god! I knew it wasn't a stupid bird. Like <laughs> so many, so many people kept talking about it being a bird, and I was like, "There's no way that that's a bird." Uh, so thanks for calling in. I we have to say so. Jimmy, to Jimmy, it was a total revelation that trail names are a thing. Shredder just, I mean, just the name just made me so happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm Shredder. I think with Woody, Switchback, Gringo, Long John Silver. And um, honey stick, oh and gosh. those are all our trail names. I don't, I don't know you well enough to give you a trail name. All right, so we would have to give Jimmy his trail name, not you, right? Yeah, it it usually happens by either doing or saying something really dumb. Ooh. <laughs> well, that's easy. <laughs> okay, thank you for answering my question. No problem. Thanks for taking the time to take a call from us. Oh, of course. Your, your trail name is totally Jizza. That's a freaking amazing trail name. <laughs> yes. Liquid Swords, Jizza. <laughs> On it. What is that I supposed found, to refer to? Well, Jizza <laughs> is a member of Wu-Tang Clan. And, oh, I didn't realize. And I found a Jizza shirt at the local he found, Goodwill. He found a t-shirt that says GZA Environmental Engineering. And he goes, Jizza. <laughs> But it says Jizza in much larger print than everything else. And it's all black and it's got a real badass like symbol on like the little, you know, on the front uh, of it. And the back has got like some pictures of like nature. Nature. Yeah. I just, I think it's pretty, pretty money. Yeah. Well, I mean, GZA did not pay for this ad in their (laughs) podcast, but they got one anyway. Okay. Solved that one. Moving on. Hi, this is Claire Dunning, and I'm calling from St. George, Maine, in the middle of a thunderstorm. And I'm wondering whether harbor seals and other aquatic life know if it's raining or not. Well, like, the obvious question is, like, when they're below water or above water? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they know when they're below water. Well, she does say an other aquatic life. I think she might mean below water. Yeah. But seals spend time above and below water. Yeah. Coming up, coming up, looking at us, looking cute. And then there's a thunderstorm and they get the hell out. Yeah, they go down. I feel like, okay, and I'm generalizing because I have no idea what the answer is to this. If you live outside, would you not be more perceptive to what happens outside, i.e. a thunderstorm? Yeah, they've got to know. they got to know. Yeah. But, like, if you were way down, I mean, there there must be a certain point at which you get far enough down where it's just like, you know, nothing's... Nothing's affecting you. So how far down is that? I think this is what we got to nail down. We've got to nail down, like, the number. Like, how many feet down mm-hmm. can you tell that there's weather up above you? 
Oh, hello? Hello. Hey, this is Sam Evans-Brown from New Hampshire Public Radio. Hi, Sam. This is Jim Harvey. I'm the director at Moss Mining Marine Laboratories and have been a marine mammal expert for the last 40 years or so. Uh, so thoughts, does a harbor seal, when they're underwater, do they have any way of knowing if they're in bad weather? And then, do, and when they're above water, do they know slash care when they're in bad weather? Interesting that you asked us. Just the other day, we had a, a speaker here at Moss Lang Marine Labs talking about um, they have a hydrophone uh, in Monterey Bay that's listening to whatever's making noise in the ocean, and they could actually hear rain um, on the surface of the ocean down at a, um, almost uh, a thousand feet underwater. What? Yes. Whoa. That's so, amazing. So the answer is that if the harbor seals are listening, have as good a listening as the hydrophone that they have here in the bay, that yes, certainly seals should be able to hear rain. If they were underwater, they should be able to hear rain if they can hear that frequency. I don't know if they can hear that exact frequency, to tell you the truth. Yeah. And then as far as the surface, like being at the surface, um, if it was lightly raining, the harbor seals would lay around on the land and are uh, on on shore and rest. But if it rained very, very hard, then you could watch the seals um, jump into the water and get out of it. It's sort of like, well, if I'm going to be 100% soaked anyway, I might as well not be being hit by the water. Exactly. Well, I'd be pelted um, by, by rain if you can just be in in the water. And of course, they're really well adapted to being in, in the ocean. So to them, it's it's no big deal to jump in the water and stay there for a long period of time and not be cold. So in my in my poking around on the internet when I was trying to find people to talk to, I came across two terms that I really liked. Uh, have you heard of people referring to seals that are logging and bottling? Yes. Okay, yep. can you explain yep. what those are? So, um, yeah, so logging or bottling. Bottling is harbor seals will oftentimes when they're um, in the water and resting. Um, I don't know if they're actually truly sleeping, but they're certainly when they're resting, they will do the thing like, uh, which I've watched uh, in clear water, you can see them actually do, which is they'll come to the surface debris with their nose just sort of sticking up, and they'll stick uh, sit up there for uh, maybe 20 seconds or something, taking a number of breaths, and then they'll just slowly drop in the water column back down and hit the bottom and just rest on the bottom. And then all of a sudden they'll pop back up, and they'll just do this for hours at a time. <laughs> And down, up and down. So, so at some point, yeah, it looks kind of like a bottle. You know, um, as a, a, a bottle will sometimes um, bob around in the ocean with the top at the surface. Gotcha. That's adorable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, forget the Appalachian Trail. That's what I want to do with my time. <laughs> yeah. just, just, just bottle, bottle all day. So what is logging then? So logging sort of the same kind of thing. Um, this is mostly, I, at least I have always used the term logging much more with whales than with seals, but it still can happen with seals. And that's where the animal's actually sitting at the surface the whole time. It's not going up and down through from the surface down to the bottom and back up again. It's, and whales will do this where they're laying horizontal at the surface, breathing and probably sleeping, uh, resting in some case. Um, and it looks like a log. I mean, from a distance, you just see this dark thing floating at the surface, and it looks like a floating log, and then if you get close enough, you go, oh, it's a whale, or usually when they're resting, and hence the term logging. Yeah, I feel like I've seen a lot of people doing that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Thanks so much for your time. No problem. That was great. That was way more satisfying an answer than I expected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the answer is... Probably 
Probably, yeah. Probably rain's pretty freaking loud. Yeah. Isn't logging also just the lazy river? <laughs> Isn't that what people are doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Dead man's, oh, no. Dead man's float is on your face, which I don't know why. Who, in what who situation think? would that help you? <laughs> well, I mean, scaring small children at the beach. Yeah. 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 Avoiding laundry. <laughs> just lie face down on the floor and wait till Aubrey says something <laughs> nudge with the toe I'm logging <laughs> Outside In was produced this week by me Sam Evans Brown Jimmy Gutierrez and Hannah McCarthy with help from Maureen McMurray, Taylor Quimby, and Ben Henry. If you want us to answer your question, you should give us a call. The number is 1-844-466-8837. That's 844-GO-OTTER. Or if you just want to pester us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, you can find us at Outside In Radio or at our website, outsideinradio.org. And a special announcement, Taylor. Uh, so we're very excited to announce that we will be live tweeting a viewing of the film Geostorm. The best film of the year. Basically, it's like Dante's Peak, Twister, and Volcano on steroids jammed into one epic disaster movie. It's one of those ones in which like victory over the Geostorm will probably involve about half of the population of Earth dying. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be live tweeting it. Uh, when? It is Sunday, October 22nd. Uh, we don't know which showing yet, but it's going to be the 7 p.m.-ish showing. We will uh, announce the exact time on Twitter, and we will be using the hashtag GeoTweetStorm. Ba-dum-ching! <laughs> <laughs> and we really invite any and all meteorolog- meteorologists. We invite any and all meteorologists to join us in this endeavor because uh, this is going to be some fun, bad, fake science. It is going to be so ridiculous. I can't even believe I'm being roped into this. I can't believe I roped you into it. (laughs) This is the only way that I can go see this movie and feel okay about it. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Can we just play like a half second from the trailer here? (laughs) Here, here, I'll imitate it. What was that last little bit? Rain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a gentle a gentle cleansing rain after the storm. <laughs>